this morning. It is my pleasure to be able to one more time introduce to you Dr. Uh, Joe Warner. He's the pastor of Freedom Fellowship in Orlando. Uh, We've gotten to know him over the years. We appreciate Joe so very, very much. He has a heart for people uh, here in America as well as nations around the world. It is remarkable how God uses him in some of the most amazing ways. I, I, we'll, we'll definitely have him back, and if he'll tell some of the stories about how God brought him into ministry and some other things, just remarkable stories. But the, the highest accolade I can give is simply to say he's a friend, and we appreciate and love him very, very much. So would you love him too as you stand to your feet and put your hands together to honor the servant of the Lord and what God's going to say through him this morning. God bless you, Pastor Joe Warner. I hope none of you guys are football fans because we're going to be here till two or three. You know, I have two daughters and a son, and I like what Pastor just said. The thing I did with my kids is I pray God's favor over them constantly. I mean, constantly. And Rachel, my oldest, was fascinated with Ireland. And when she got married, she always wanted to go on a honeymoon for Ireland. And I've been praying favor all of her life. At work, she works at a printing company, there's a big contest. She didn't realize it was going on. Somebody put her name in. Two weeks before she got married, she won an all-expense-paid trip for two to Ireland to stay in a castle. (laughs) Isn't that cool? My other daughter, Angela, praying favor over her, she's like, Dad, do you see what happened? When Rachel got married, what do you think is going to happen when I get married? Angela's driving down the interstate, coming from Southeastern, back home. She went to school there, and on her way home, she's listening to a Christian radio station. Angela Warner, if you will call within the next 10 minutes, you will win two airplane tickets to go anywhere in the continental United States. Angela got a free honeymoon. And so favor, I pray for favor over my children. And so I just think it's awesome to see what God does in their lives. It's so much fun. Um, I think being a dad is the best thing that ever happened to me. And then I became a granddad. You might have cute grandkids, Tracy. But mine don't look like me, so they're awesome. So I have two messages for you today. I, I really feel like the Lord wants me to do two different things today. I hope you'll put on some prophetic ears. What we've been doing is personal prophecy, praying over individuals. We'll do more of that tonight. But this morning's not about personal prophecy. This morning is about... Prophetic things that God is saying to this church. And so we want to focus on some of those things. And uh, I want to start off in Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. And I'm just going to spend a little bit of time in Nehemiah. Ray said I can't go anywhere and preach unless I'm in Nehemiah. It's probably true. But uh, in Nehemiah 6, you remember Nehemiah's the story of rebuilding. And you know you're Legacies in the process of rebuilding and I want you to look at some of the things that happened as a part of the rebuilding process of what God was doing Nehemiah 6 1 It was reported Sambalat, Tabai and Geshem the Arab to rest their enemies that had rebuilt the wall and had no breach and that no breach remained in it Though at the time I hadn't set up the doors or gates The number one thing that God is doing is closing breaches in relationships The number one thing that destroys local churches is what? Church splits. splits. Well, what does that mean? What happens? 
relationships, things start happening. People start devising all kinds of things in their minds. And the one thing that God hates, if you go to Proverbs, it says, you know, there's a number of things God, that God hates. But one of them is the person who, just, who causes discord among the brethren. God hates disunity, doesn't he? Come on, does he? If you've ever been a part of it, I want to encourage you to repent. Because God hates it. I will not receive a bad report about another person. I won't receive it. If you start giving me a bad report, I'm going to make you stop. I'm not receiving it. And so I, I want you to know this morning, it says in Nehemiah, Nehemiah is saying that one of his first priorities in rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem was to close the breaches. If you went a couple of chapters early, Nehemiah stationed people and families around the wall and every person was responsible to build their part of the wall. And you as people of legacy as this church, you have a responsibility for your part of rebuilding. And he said, fight for your families, fight for your lives, because if you don't put up these walls, the enemy will come in like a flood. And so he said, I closed the breaches and it really made the enemy mad. Verse 2, the Sambalan Geshem sent a message to me saying, come, let's get together. The enemy is saying, let's come and get together. Now, really and truly, if you had a, a mortal enemy and he sent you an invitation, would you go to his party? Let's get together. Let's just talk. I remember in the neighborhood I grew up in, we, we, I had three brothers and you didn't mess with the Warner brothers. I'm serious. One day, three guys grabbed me after school and, and really beat me up pretty good. And one guy was particularly bad. And so I got home and my older brothers found out. We went to their house. One brother went to the front door. Two brothers went to the back door. And when mom answered the door, the other two brothers went through her back door, grabbed her son and dragged him outside to the park where we admonished him in love. But I want you to know, we're supposed to be fighting for our brothers. We're supposed to be on each other's team. The enemy is the enemy and people are not the enemy. When you get focused on flesh and blood, you have lost the war. I'm telling you the way it is. If you think your wife or your husband is the problem, you're wrong. The enemy's the enemy. Who is it that causes, comes to steal, kill and destroy? Well, I think it's my in-laws. No, it's the enemy. And you're in a spiritual war. And I don't know if we really understand. We are in a war. It's a hellish war. There's no Geneva Convention. There's no timeouts. There's no days off. This war goes on nonstop, 24-7, 365, forever. We are in a battle. And the enemy hates us with a passion. And we're clueless about it. Which amazes me. And so the enemy has all these schemes to destroy churches. And we fall right into his trap. Time after time after time, we fall into his trap. And I just sometimes think, what is wrong with us? We do the same things over and over again. The same conversations, the same unforgiveness, the same bitterness, the same bad reports. And then we wonder why there's no power in our churches. Verse 2, so Sam Blank Gation get together. Hey, let's meet together. Where do you want to meet at? We want to meet down on the plain of oh no. Now, I, I just like that. 
So what do you say when the enemy says, let's get together? The enemy's not your wife. She says, let's talk. You can't say, oh, no. Right? Just say, honey, can it be before midnight? So verse 3, I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should I stop the work? Why should I leave the work? I want you to know this morning, I believe with all of my being that God wants to say to this church, this is a great work. What Nehemiah was doing was a great work. It was hard work. He didn't have a Home Depot. They were building with the rubble that was left over from destruction. And I'll tell you, the truth of the matter is, stones people who have been tested are the best people to build with. And so Nehemiah would have to go out among all the ruins and find burnt stones and dust them off and wipe them off and use them to do the work with. And so I'm telling you, prophetically speaking, there are people lying around your city that are burnt. They don't attend church anymore. And God wants somebody to go find them, clean them up, and get them back in the wall. They've been tested with fire. They're worth recycling. Go find these people. But the enemy wanted him to come down and have a conversation with him, which is amazing. When you have conversations with the enemy, you're just being foolish. Go down to verse 8. I sent messages to him saying, such things you're saying about me haven't been done and you're inventing them in your own mind. I want to tell you that things that have been said in regard to this church, things that have been said in regard to Kevin and Tracy, so many of the things that have been said have been invented in the mind of people that the thoughts that the enemy has placed there. They're called evil imaginations. And the scripture says we're supposed to cast down evil imaginations, not dwell on evil imaginations. Do you have an inventive mind? We go around building cases against people. We take circumstantial evidence. And then we become suspicious. I wonder what they're really thinking. I wonder what their motive really is. And then we begin to invent all of these things in our mind. And pretty soon, without any evidence, we find people guilty. And it amazes me. And so I want you to know that the, the things, the accusations, the things that have come against this church are nothing more than vain imaginations being invented in the mind of men. And I want you to throw down these imaginations as the scripture says. Don't dwell on them. Don't think, don't, don't, don't share them. Don't give them space. Cast them down. Verse 9, all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they'll become discouraged with the work. It won't be done. See, the issue of life is not you. The issue of life is not Kevin and Tracy. The issue of life is the work that God wants to get done. It's the kingdom job that he, that he caused this church to exist for. This church has a place in the kingdom of God. Nobody can take its place. It's a specific work that God has designed this place for, and he wants it to get accomplished. And it's a great work. 
It's a great work that God wants to do. I'm so excited about the emphasis that you're coming into on wanting to stir up the gifts of the Holy Spirit by wanting the presence of God back in your church and stronger than he's ever been before. Nehemiah says at the end of verse 9, O Lord, strengthen my hands. When I think about your pastor and his wife, that's what I pray for them. Lord, strengthen their hands that they can continue to put their hands to the work. Has anybody ever slammed their hand in a door? Everybody, anybody ever hit their hand with a hammer? That's when you find out if you're a true believer by what comes out of your mouth. When you've had your hand slammed before, everything in you goes, I don't really want to put my hands back to the work. My old uncle's a farmer. He's got a white goatee down to his waist, and he works for John Deere, and I worked with him one summer. And we went out to fix this, this big old huge tractor, and he gives me these two giant cables. He says, now when I tell you, I want you to touch them together. I'm thinking, is this good? I'm 18, I don't know, you know. He yells down, touch them together. I, it knocked me across the barn. He thought that was rather funny. He says, now grab them again. I'm like, are you crazy? Listen, when you've been knocked around, you don't want to grab a hold again. When you slammed your ham in the door, man, you're looking at that door like, you understand what I'm saying? You pick up that big hammer, and the other hand holding the nail is like, got an Elvis spirit. It's all shook up. It's just, it's hard to hit. But I hear the Lord saying he wants to strengthen the hands of the builders of Legacy Church. Verse 11, I think, is so applicable to Kevin. He says, should a man like me run? Should one such as I go to the temple to save his life? I am not going to go. And it literally goes into an entire story that we're not going to get into, that the enemy hired false prophets to say things about Nehemiah and the people doing the work. I want you to know there are true prophets and there are false prophets. And the enemy has hired false prophets. He's enticed people to say evil and wicked things about the motives and what's going on in the heart of Kevin and Tracy. I will tell you that I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt their heartbeat is for the kingdom of God and it never wavers. Now, I get amazed. We share stories. <laughs> We've been through so many things that are so much alike, it's almost unbelievable. And I'm amazed when I hear Tracy's testimony, every time I hear her preach it, I'm just amazed that Tracy's still in the fight. I think she's one of the most extraordinary women that I've ever met in my entire life because she's got that thing here that says, I am not going to quit. I'm going to overcome no matter what. I know so many who have quit. So many who have walked away. And so this morning, I want to encourage you that the Lord is saying to you quite clearly, he wants to build, he wants to close the breaches, he wants all the idle gossip to stop, all the vain imaginations to go away, and all the false prophecies to quit. There is power in words. Power in words. And so I work really hard. You know when I go, when I go to bed every night, I know that people say things about me, how good looking I am how tall I am. Ray talks about it all the time. But I know people make judgments against me all the time. 
I know that there are literally witches that have been on our property recently, our church property, doing all kinds of things. I've been involved in so much spiritual warfare. I, it's, it's unbelievable sometimes. And every night when I go to bed, I lay there and I think the same thing. You know what, Lord? Whatever judgments have been made against me today, I forgive them. I release them. Lord, any curses spoken over my life or my family today, I break them. I release them in Jesus' name. I'm in constant warfare. And so are you. The enemy hates you. If you name the name of the Lord, if the Spirit of God is in you, he hates you with a passion. He hates you with a passion. And so I just want to give you a little bit of a prophetic warning in that sense this morning. God is closing the breaches. He's closing the breaches. And there can't be any spaces left between us. There can't be any place that the enemy could come in. Now I want you to skip over to the next book of the Bible. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. And this morning, I'm going to share with you one of my favorite things that I ever get to share in a local church. I don't do it very often because I don't encounter it very often. But in the book of Esther, as we get into it this morning, we're going to just go verse by verse and we're going to look at some things. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background. In Esther, you have two different queens, two different brides. One's name is Esther, and her name means the hidden star. Then you have another lady who's a queen, and her name is Vashti, and her name means wasted beauty. Esther is a prophetic picture of the church in the last days. And because of the stuff I've been hearing come out of Pastor Kevin for the last few days that we've been around him, he is realizing and he's beginning to see the same thing that we are prophetically, that we are living in days where God is sorting things out in his church. And I believe that Esther is one of the most prophetic books in the entire Bible about the last days and about the bride of Christ. The church is called the bride of Christ. And there are churches today that are vasty churches that are wasting their time. There are other churches that are Esther churches that are the hidden star in the kingdom of God. People don't know about them. People don't even know they exist. They're the people, they're the churches that are, still have the spirit of God. They're the churches that worship and wait upon the Lord. They're the churches that the wine of God is still moving and flowing in, where the Holy Ghost is there. They may, may not be the giant churches with thousands of people that are rushing people in and out. There's no place for the spirit of God. There's no place for extended worship. There's no place for the laying on of hands. There's no place for the raising of hands. There's no place for tongues or interpretation. There's no place for prophecy we have to get people in we have to give them a nice message we don't want to offend them and we want to get them out that is not a church so look in Esther chapter 1 first four verses the king is talking about I want to throw a great banquet and I am going to invite all the people of the land to attend my banquet I want you to know that the Lord himself has a banquet coming up. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And we are being invited to come to his banquet. And in verse 5 it says, When these days were completed, the king gave this banquet lasting seven days for all the people. He gave it to the people who were the greatest to the least. Everybody gets invited to the banquet. Verse second, there were verse six, there were hangings of white and violet and all the different things. It goes down verse seven. This is the key. Look at this. It says, drinks were served in golden 
vessels of various kinds, and the royal wine was plentiful according to the king's bounty. The drinking was done according to the law, which was no... According to the law, there was no compulsion. For so the king gave an order to each official of his household that he should do according to the desires of each person. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the palace which belonged to the king. Now I want you to get this straight in your mind. In the scripture, the wine and the oil represent what? The Holy Spirit. So the king is saying, at my banquet, I am serving the very best wine. And he said, let each person drink the wine according to their own desire. In the body of Christ, there are people who want nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. They, want not, they do not want to drink wine. Now, I grew up as a good Baptist boy. I had never drank anything in my entire life. If my oldest brother who went to Vietnam came home and brought some beer home, and my dad had a little confrontation with him, and alcohol never entered our home Ever. And so I'm doing mission trips and I go to Sicily on a mission trip. In Sicily, they don't even give you water. They make their own wine behind their house. And lunch starts around two and goes till four or five. So we go to this house. They set this wine in front of me and I'm thinking, I don't want to offend my host. The guy traveling with me was, used to be in prison. He loves the vino. His name is Tom. So I think, well, how do you get rid of this wine? I just threw it down. Tom says to the host, oh, Giuseppe, he loves the vino. I don't remember that day. <laughs> I preached that night on the radio in a church. We were being broadcast in North Africa, and I don't remember the night. I don't remember the service. Tom said it's the best message I've ever preached. But you know, when the king offers you his royal wine, which is the Holy Spirit, and you refuse to drink the king's wine, it's probably not a good thing. What do you think? And the scripture says they're not going to drink under compulsion. Nobody's going to force anybody to drink of the Holy Spirit, to drink of the wine. It's going to be done according to each person's desire. Now, I don't know about you, but any time I get a sense that the Spirit of God is doing something new in any, any place, I go and I get as much spiritual wine as I can get. And I drink just as much as I can possibly get. A few weeks ago, I was sitting in my living room. I got home at 10 o'clock at night. I'm just sitting there in my big chair. I got my big orange cat on my shoulders. Name's Chuck Norris. Chuck's bad to the bone, I want you to know. Chuck and I were really tight, and Chuck and I are whining about our day. You know, he's meowing in my ear about how bad his cat food was, and, and we're, just having, we're just communicating. And, and after a little while, I just started praying, and for about four hours, I experienced the greatest presence of the Spirit of God that I've ever known. I didn't ask for it. I wasn't planning for it. It's like the Lord himself came into my room. And I sat in his presence for hours, for hours. The wine is still available. It's not too late. Now, notice that the last verse in chapter 1 says, Queen Vashti, whose name means wasted beauty, she threw her own banquet 
without the king. I want you to know today, I'm telling you the truth, all over America, there are buildings with people meeting in it, calling themselves churches, and literally the Holy Spirit is not there. The cross has been removed. We don't preach repentance anymore. The Holy Spirit is not allowed to move. We've got an hour and 15 minutes, and Lord have mercy if anything interrupts our schedule. Lordship is not preached. We're here to tickle people's ears. Jesus said in the last days, that's what was going to happen. And I'm concerned for people I know attending these churches because they know nothing of the presence of God. They know nothing of the Holy Spirit. They know nothing of repentance. They know nothing of holiness. They know nothing of spending extended time in the presence of God to be cleansed by His Spirit. All they know is they run in and out of church. They get a cute little message, sing a couple of nice songs, and they're out of there. It's going on all over our nation. And now it's being shipped out to the world because America does it. If you look at the beginning of chapter 2, the king says... You know, he's angry because Vashti did not come to his banquet. In verse 2, the king's attendants who served him said, What are we going to do about all this? I, I'm just going to paraphrase all this because we don't have time. You get down to verse 4, it says, Let the young lady who pleases the king... I'm sorry, I made a big mistake. I'm still in chapter 1. Please forgive me. I just want to review one thing in chapter 1, verse 15. The king is saying, according to the law, what's to be done with Queen Vashti because she didn't obey the command of the king? In the presence of the king, the princess goes on down, verse 17, for the queen's conduct will become known to all the women. Vashti's conduct, if you had time to read the whole story of Esther, Vashti's conduct cost her from ever coming into the presence of the king again. She was banned from the king's chamber. She was banned from the royal court. Her disobedience cost her the presence of the king for the rest of her life. I believe that the conduct of the bride, the conduct of the church is being evaluated in heaven. I believe that the conduct of my life matters. I believe that my behavior matters. I believe that my character matters. I believe my spirituality matters. I believe how much of the Holy Spirit I have matters. I believe that how many gifts of the Spirit I operate in matters. I believe I'm being held responsible for all the things that I've been taught matters. The conduct of the church, the conduct of the queen is being evaluated. You will stand before the Lord and his books will be opened and you will be judged according to the things that you've done in this earth. Don't kid yourself. You're not getting away with anything. Even the intent of the thoughts of our hearts are examined. Vashti wouldn't come when the king commanded her to come. Why did the king ask her to come? The scripture says he wanted to display her royal beauty. We have, a, we have a king, we have a father who wants to display for all the principalities and power the beauty of his bride. He wants the whole earth to see the glory of his church, the beauty of his bride. 
I've, I've been married for 38 years now, and I remember on my wedding day, I'm standing in this, this little back room over on the side with two pastors are doing the wedding, and they're talking about all kinds of things and asking me questions and stuff, but I was, I was fixated. I'm standing there thinking, I'm about to see my bride. That's all I could think about. I couldn't think about anything else. I don't even know what they were talking about. I couldn't tell you what they were said. All I knew was my bride was about to walk down the aisle. And I was just, I was mesmerized at the thought, I'm going to see my bride. The bride that God had prepared for me. The perfect person that God chose for me. I'm going to see my bride. And I'm telling you, the Lord today is in heaven. And he's got but one passion. His bride. His church. And a longing to see her. But he doesn't want to see a dirty, nasty bride. He wants to see a glorious bride. A glorious bride. And he's looking for the bride that's being obedient to him. He's looking for the bride that accepts the royal wine that he gives her, the Spirit of God. He's looking for the bride who just wants to be in his presence. But for those who refuse the wine, those who refuse the presence, they will be banned from the presence of the King. Because without the Holy Spirit, you're not going anywhere. And so, then when you get into chapter 2, you begin to find out that the queen has to be replaced. And this is where Esther comes into play. Vashti is banned. Wasted beauty, gone. Can't come into his presence any longer, forever. If you go down in chapter 2, the verse 5, it says, Now there was at the citadel of Susa a Jew whose name was Mordecai. Mordecai's name literally means the revealer of schemes. Mordecai is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And when you look at the things that he did, you'll see that they are Christ-like. So Mordecai is there. It says that Mordecai, in verse 6, who had been taken to exile. Mordecai is a captive. Verse 7, he was bringing up Hadash, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. Esther's parents were gone. Esther was adopted by Mordecai. We, according to Galatians 4, have been adopted into the family of God. We are the adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are just like Esther. We've been adopted. The king, the father, gave us adoption papers. I just love that. And so Esther spends all of this time preparing herself to come into the presence of the king. She spent several years getting ready to come into the presence of the king. And today when I go into all the churches and places in the earth that we go to, I rarely find a group of people who are, who are getting ready to come into worship, who are getting ready to come into the presence of the king, who are actually spending time praying, realizing they're coming into a presence of the king of the universe. People just sashay into church. They come into the sanctuary, giving no thought that this is the king's house. They come in without any preparation. No fear of the Lord. No concern over the sin of what they did last night or the night before. 
That we run in our nation in and out of church buildings without any reverence, without any fear of the Lord, without any prayer. And then we wonder why there's no presence and there's no power and people don't get healed and nothing ever happens. I'm responsible to prepare myself for worship. On Sundays, you know what? I spend quality time long before I get to the church building preparing myself for worship. I want to make sure that I'm ready to come into the presence of the King. I love the fact this morning that we, when we came to church, a lot of people were here praying. They were preparing, getting ready to come into the presence of the King, realizing He really is a King. How fortunate are you and I the least. I believe I'm the least. I was, giving a, I was given a wedding invitation. Joe Warner, you're invited to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You, you're invited to drink of the wine of the Holy Spirit. I just, I'm amazed that God would choose me. I'm amazed of all the trillions of people that have ever lived. I've got a wedding invitation. I've been invited into the king's presence. I've been invited to drink the royal wine. What an honor and a privilege you have to enter into worship. That you have a shepherd who's saying, let's invite the spirit of God. Let's invite the Holy Ghost. Let's drink as much wine as we can possibly drink. Let's get as much of the power of God that we can possibly have. See, it's not about nickels and numbers in the kingdom of God. Esther was unknown. Nobody knew who she was. Nobody had ever seen her in court. Nobody knew anything about her. Esther lived with the thought that one day I'm coming into the presence of a king. And she prepared herself. Ladies, if you want to justify cosmetics, in Esther 2, you can read all about it. She spent years applying cosmetics. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is verse 11 of chapter 2. Mordecai, Esther is in the days of preparation. It says, every day Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. Mordecai is a type of Christ. The scripture says that the Lord Jesus forever lives to make intercession for us. So I can picture Mordecai walking back and forth. How's Esther? How is she? Is she being taken care of? And the Lord thinking about us, his bride, every day, Every day interceding for us. Every day longing to be with us. Every day wanting to be with us and, and giving us more and more of his spirit. And we, we, we maybe, maybe give him an hour a week in church. I'm talking about a relationship that's daily, that's hourly, 
That's moment by moment. In him, I live and I move. I have my very being. I'm always aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm always aware that God's talking to me, that the Spirit of God is leading me, that the Spirit of God is, is moving in my life. I'm always constantly aware and grateful for the Holy Spirit who happens to be in me by the grace of God. I'm so grateful for my salvation. I was one of the least. Why would God go to a little bitty farm town in southern Illinois and prophesy over me? Pick me out of all my cousins and brothers and sisters and raise me up and send me to nations. I'm amazed of the Holy Spirit. I'm amazed I get to drink the royal wine. I love his presence. I love his presence. There is a longing in me for the presence of God. I thirst for the royal wine. I love the presence of God. I don't run in and out. When I come into the presence of God, I just stand still. In that moment of time, a few weeks ago, I never said a word. I was being soaked in the love of God, the presence of God, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the helper. Things changed in me in those three or four hours. I was strengthened. I was helped. I was comforted. Grief was taken off of me. Abandonment was taken off of me. Feelings of rejection were removed from me. God just supernaturally brought a greater level of depth and healing to my life. Esther, the hidden star. Legacy, Freedom Fellowship, hidden churches. They're, we're not known all over our city. Kevin might be because he makes trouble all over the city. <laughs> we're hidden away. People don't know about us. But I want to tell you something. Just as my bride was revealed to me, the true bride, the Esther Church, she's out there. Do you know the average church in America is 100 people or less? Do you know why that is so? God wants his people to be shepherded by people who actually know their name. How do you shepherd people you've never met? We are so fortunate to be in a place where the Holy Spirit is. There are so many churches that are vashti. Wasted beauty. They look glorious. Everything is excellent. Everything is well done. The music is unbelievable. The dramas are could go on Broadway. But they have no presence. And the Spirit of God's not welcome. And we won't make time for him. We won't give place to him. We're not going to interrupt what we've planned. 
I don't know about legacy, but in Orlando, when the Spirit of God is moving, we could care less what the rest of the day was planned to be. <laughs> we, we just throw it all out the window. Because the goal is to get into His presence. The goal is for God to speak. The goal is to be changed. You know, if you go down to verse... I'm in, still in chapter 2. If you go all the way down to verse 21... It says in those days while Mordecai, he was sitting at the king's gate. You know, it's a really good place to sit is at the king's gate. He's sitting at the king's gate. And Bigthan and Teresh, Bigthan's name literally means hard-heartedness. Teresh means it's all about me. Two of the king's officials from those who guarded the door became angry and sought to lay hands on the king. But the plot became known to Mordecai. He told the queen, and Esther told the king in Mordecai's name. I just love the types and shadows of the scripture. Esther the bride speaks to the king in Mordecai's name. We the church, we come to the king in Jesus' name. So the, the, the scheme to kill the king is made known. By who? People who are hard-hearted. People who think it's all about me. Do you know when you go to church, it's not about you. You're not supposed to be going to church just to get something. You're supposed to go to church to give something. When I show up on Sunday mornings, it doesn't matter that I'm the pastor. On the days that I'm not preaching, I go to church fully intending to prophesy over people, to give out things to people. If I get something, receive something, that's great. But my mindset is, I come to give. Because I already got filled up much earlier in the day. In our society in America, we go shopping for church. We're looking for the church with all the programs that will meet our needs. We want the best youth group in America. We want children's programs that bedazzle the children. You can have the best of all of it, and without presence, those children will become rebellious teenagers. Because they won't know God. They'll know about God. It's all about me. Hard-heartedness. That's what destroys churches. And Mordecai exposes these two guys. And these two guys are hung you get hard-hearted about the things of God. You think you're going to church because it's all about you. And you watch where you end up spiritually. There's another bad guy in the book of Esther. I'm sure you've read Esther before. His name is Haman. Haman's name literally means rage. His great-grandfather was King Agag, the king that Saul refused to kill. If we don't deal with it in one generation, we're going to get it in another generation. It's the way that it works. And so Haman's out to kill the people. And if you really want to understand how the demonic things work in the world, read about Haman in the book of Esther, and you will understand Satan exactly. Exactly. Mordecai would not bow down to him. And he hated Mordecai with a passion that you can't even imagine. And the best chapter, I think, in the scripture on spiritual warfare is the last chapter of Esther. It says that the king gave Mordecai his signet ring and authority and said, any people who come after you, you have my authority to annihilate them. It's incredible stuff, you guys. 
It's a picture of the end time church, full of anointing, full of the oil, full of the wine, full of the Holy Spirit, full of authority. Not a church that's just barely surviving, but a church that's conquering its enemies. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I am not part of a losing battle. I don't care what it looks like on the outside. Who cares? I was in China and I got picked up at 10 o'clock at night in a taxi. All the windows were blacked out. Dropped off in an alley. It was pitch dark. Went up 10 flights of stairs and every night would teach the underground church with two candles lit. And it wasn't because they didn't have electricity. And there'd be so many people cramped into that giant apartment that I couldn't breathe. They were so hungry. They, would, they, they drew out of the well of our lives for hour upon hour upon hour upon hour. And we began to tell them about the Holy Spirit. They literally said, we're saved, but we didn't really know anything about the Holy Spirit. And we watched the Spirit of God be poured out. We watched these people get filled with joy. The Christian, Christians in China are called smiley. It's what they call the Christian, smiley. Because their countenance changes. They go from no hope to born again, spirit-filled, full of joy. They're called smileys. When's the last time you looked in the mirror? Are you, are you smiley? <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? You got an invitation. God's pouring out his spirit all over the earth. We just got back from India. And there was a man in a hospital, a Muslim man. And he was dying. And they couldn't find out what was wrong with him, which is not unusual in India. There's so many viruses. His name is Prakash. And on the day before they thought he was going to die, his testimony is a man in gleaming white clothes walked into his hospital room, laid his hands on his head, and he was healed and fire went through his body. He was screaming because his body was on fire. He didn't know who it was. Three days later, he saw the Jesus film and said, that's the man. Prakash has now raised up over 4,000 churches in India. God is moving throughout the earth. He is raising up a church that you cannot even begin to imagine. We went into a Muslim village in India. We had a policeman there recording everything that was being done because he was convinced that he was going to have the joy of taking us to jail. The Indian government has said by the year 2022, all Christianity in India will be gone. That's their goal, stated in their newspaper. We go into this village. We found out that the policeman's wife was dying with cancer. She couldn't walk. They went and got her. We asked them to go get her, and we prayed for her. She got totally healed and got up off of her bed. The policeman threw down his camera. He said, this is real. The entire Muslim village got saved. I'm telling you. God's doing great things in the earth. The Holy Spirit is moving. But in America, we're all caught up in not Bud Light, but church light. We don't know anything about the depths of God, about 
waiting on the Lord, about incredible worship, about getting the wine. And the other places in the earth, they are crying out for the wine. I watched Ray in Spain. We did a prophetic conference in a Muslim neighborhood. We didn't know what was going to happen. And so that Sunday night, I'll never forget, there's about 125 people there. We don't know who's a Muslim and who's not. You can't tell by looking unless the ladies have on their whole deal. And this Muslim man comes forward. He had this thing in him full of hate. I'm going to find out if this prophet stuff is real. That's what he said later. Ray gave him a prophetic word that was so accurate. The Muslim man fell flat to the floor, threw his arm up the air, and screamed, The Lord, he is God. I'll never forget that night, will you, Ray? It was such an amazing moment. But here we are in America. We should be so on fire and have so much of the Holy Spirit with no persecution. We can go to church whenever we want. We have the Bible that we can read anytime we want. We don't read it. We don't have worship at home. We don't have a place of prayer in our own homes. All we do is go to church once a week. And we wonder why there's no power. I hear a cry coming out of Pastor Kevin that something changed. Do you hear that cry when he prayed this morning? We need to get to the point where it's not all about us. We're actually thinking about inviting other people to the banquet. We're actually thinking about helping them get drunk in the Holy Spirit. Do you know how wonderful it is if you're full of depression to have the Holy Spirit just lifted off you? Do you realize what we have and how precious and valuable it is? Esther lived to come into the presence of the king. The only part of Esther that's ever preached is the part where she intercedes, goes into the king's presence and says, you know what, if I perish, I perish. That's the only part of Esther anybody ever knows about. But if you read the chapter, it says that the king extended the golden scepter to her. Golden scepter literally means the rod of the kingdom. To Esther the bride, the hidden church, was given the kingdom. I've been given the kingdom. I love the kingdom of God. I'm so focused on the kingdom of God. We seek to first build his kingdom, and God builds our church. It's the way that it works. We have more missions going out of our church. We, don't, we can't even keep up with them. There's somebody somewhere every day of every week. It is amazing. Our church of a couple hundred people is affecting nations. I mean nations. It doesn't matter how many people you've got. It matters, do those people got the Holy Ghost? That's what matters. How many were there in the upper room? What'd they get? The Holy Ghost. And what happened? Changed the world. So this quest that you're on as a church, I want to tell you, I affirm it. I believe in the days in which we're living, God is saying, the wine is available. The Holy Spirit is available. And we ought to be having such a heart of, added, a heart of gratitude. I mean, the other day I picked up the, the world's most beautiful grandchildren. And I was taking them out to go to Chick-fil-A. We don't go to Chick-fil-A, we go to Chick-fil-A. And I was having so much fun with them. But you know what? I'd gotten them both a treat. I was going to take them to a movie and everything else.
And my little three-year-old grandson looked at me and said, Papa, that's not the kind of candy I like. And I said, Landon, you're going to eat the kind of candy I give you. Well, Papa, I'm not sure I like that movie, the five-year-old said. Spoiled grandchildren. I don't know how they got that way. I'm, I'm, I, might, I might not be innocent. Spoiled Christians. I didn't like the message today. I thought Tracy was in my business. That's her job. They didn't sing that worship song I like. Well, Lord, have mercy. It is all about you, isn't it? Are we ever going to become a church that it's all about him? I show up for church. I'm still amazed that people would come to a church that I pastor. I'm serious. Every Sunday I'm surprised anybody's there. I'm just amazed at the goodness of God. I'm amazed. Because in my mind... I'm still poor, a really poor farm kid from southern Illinois that never expected to get off the farm whose only vision in life was to ride a John Deere tractor. I'm just telling you, that's how I think. But he invited the least. He went and got the fishermen the least. Right? God likes to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things with them. So he's not looking for big shots. He's looking for people like Esther. Why did she live to come into the presence of the king? What was her purpose in life? To intercede for people. Her life didn't matter. She was willing to give up her life if it meant saving the lives of others. People like that are people I can walk with. That's what we're supposed to be about. I think that's where Legacy Church is headed. I'm encouraged by what I see here. I'm encouraged that God's closing the gaps. I'm encouraged that Kevin and Tracy haven't given up but are pressing in, pressing in and pressing in. And I just get amazed at some of the things that are going on here. I think the Lord is very pleased to do some special things in this place. As I was praying uh, on, before coming here, I felt like the Lord told me a couple things. I just want to share with you guys about your pastor and wife. I already shared a couple of these things with them, but... But I just want you guys to hear it. I heard the Lord say about your pastor that Kevin is a bridge. He's a cultural bridge. And that his greatest uh, message that will ever come out of his life is going to come out over the media. It won't be how many people are in this room. God's going to give him favor in the media. And it's going to be amazing how many people. Because, you know, people all over the earth are hungry for the depth and level of teaching that Kevin gives every week. You guys get fed steak. I don't know if you realize that. The other churches are eating Cheerios. You're getting steak. And so there's a bridge that's being built. I think Kevin is probably, probably the best teacher I've ever heard. I don't know of anybody on his level. The first time I heard him in your other building, and he shared that stupid story about a cat, I still remember it. I heard the Lord say about Kevin and this church, they're going to have to pay to play. It's going to be costly to do all the media things that God's going to do, call this church to do. But if you'll do it, it will eventually pay for itself. 
Then Kevin, I saw a picture of the prophetic that's been stirring up in you. And the picture that I saw was a glass trumpet. And the trumpet was glass because the trumpet was being put in the fire. And so I saw the glass. I saw the trumpet in the kiln. And the glass had to be hot enough to be bent. And so the note that's going to come out of that trumpet, the blast that's going to come out of the trumpet, God says he wants you to be a voice, not an echo. Your message is not going to be an echo of other things that are being said throughout the nation. You are going to be a trumpet with a very, very distinct sound. I heard the Lord say, you know what? First comes the natural, then the spiritual. Charleston's a great place for a spiritual revolution to start. It's a great place. It happened here before in the natural. It can happen here in the spirit. And so the trumpet sound that's going to come out of you is going to be a blast. And it's a blast for the nation. And you go, Lord, why does the trumpet have to be formed in the fire? The Lord says, because I had to get it hot enough to bend. And he's been bending you. And it is not fun. And people here, people will never know the depth of the fire and the pain that you've had to go through. But eventually, the trumpet blast is coming. I told Tracy yesterday, the Lord told me that she's, God's going to give her favor in your city among the arts and the performing arts, and she's going to meet people of influence. Tracy's life, if there's one thing I would say, one word I would, I would use to describe her life, it's a life of influence. A life of influence. I was so proud of her at the NRP National Women's Conference. She delivered a message to the general group that was unbelievable. People still talk about it. She has great influence. You go, well, I don't really like her personality. Get over it. God gave it to her. No apologies. Tracy is who she is by the grace of God, and God created her, and he likes her. And she's an Esther. I wouldn't mess with her. She'll go tell the king on you. I'm just saying. <laughs> The other thing I, I heard, Tracy, you've gone through a season where you were like Naomi. You went on a journey and you, you went out full and sometimes you feel like you came back empty. And the Lord gave, gave me, wants you to go back and look in Ruth 4, 16 and 17. It says basically at the end of her days, Naomi was given a grandson. And that grandson was of royal lineage. And nobody knew it at the time. But I believe that some of the things that you've had to go through in your life is because that your children and your grandchildren are royalty in the kingdom. And so there's been war. The enemy knows the lineage. And there's a, there is an incredible war being waged. But your grandson, he's royalty in the kingdom of God. He is a David. And so you're going to just see amazing things go on. And I heard the Lord say a simple thing to you. Go find your Ruth. There are going to be many Ruths that will follow you through anything. Through hell or high water, they're going to follow you. Those are yours. Go find them. Watch what God does. Now to you as a church, Stan is the head of our prophetic team. He and I have been doing prophecy together for 25 or 30 years. And Stan really hears the Lord, so I asked him to pray. And this morning I said, what would you hear? And he said, I heard the Lord say he wants to do an oil change. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I think you ought to get synthetic. <laughs> Kevin's going to get high mileage. 
But, but what I want to do is, would you just stand where you are? I feel like the Lord wants to give you an oil change. And we're going to do something kind of unique. Uh, Brad, could you come and prepare the song I talked to you about a little bit earlier? And I'd like for all of you all to get out of your seats and just come down front. And we're going to do something here that I think is going to be really special. Now, guys, if you're going to get an oil change, what's the first thing you have to do? You've got to drain the old. So, listen to me. Do not call to mind the former things. The former things stop new things from happening. You can't live in the past as an individual or as a church. You can't live there. So, you have to let go of all the former things. So, I'm encouraging you this morning. Drain the old oil. Drain it out. Let it go. Let God filter it out. Get rid of it. And get ready to be filled with fresh oil. That's what your pastor's praying for. That's what they're crying out for. That's what they're believing God for. Now listen, I want you to begin to think of just one thing right now. Just close your eyes. You're a part of an Esther church. God's hidden star. You've been given an invitation to come into the presence of the king. You've been given the very best wine. And as Esther 1 says, let each person drink according to their desire. According to their desire. So we're going to begin to worship a very Specific song I asked Brad to prepare. And it talks about the splendor of the king. And in spite of everything going on in your life, will you just put it aside? Will you draw the drapes around your own life? And when you realize, I've been invited to go to the king's banquet. (laughs) I've got a ticket to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm going to get to sit down in the presence of King Jesus. I get, the, I get the very best wine. I get the very best oil. The presence of the King. We don't need programs. We don't need bigger buildings. We need presence. We long for His presence. So we're going to begin to sing this song. And I want you to just begin to thank the Lord for the invitation. And say to the Lord, Lord, take all the dirty old oil and all the old experiences out of me, Lord. Lord, wash me clean. And Father, I just want to drink in of your fresh oil. I want to drink in of the Holy Spirit. Lord, will you go to every pore of my being? Will you pour oil over me? Pour your oil over me. As you begin to pray, We're going to go along. We're just going to come along. We're not going to prophesy to you. If you want to be prophesied over, you need to come tonight. But we're going to lay hands on you for for one purpose. Fresh oil. Fresh wine. Fresh infilling. So let's begin to worship and get before the Lord.